Welcome back to the Musings Diary podcast. This is where we talk everyday life in line with the word of life. My name is Vivian Karibunisana. Heavenly Father, we thank you for yet another moment in your presence. Merciful, gracious God, compassionate God, abounding in love. My God, help us walk in this reality. As we continue to delve deeper in this journey of forgiveness, I pray that you may minister to us, that you may speak to us today. Wherever my listener is, my Father, I pray, O God, for a touch, for a special touch upon their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So today will be an interesting one. I'll be playing different clips of different scriptures. Then we'll be discussing those scriptures after each clip. So the first clip will be from Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, 
Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. What stands out for me is in verse 10, verse 10, Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. Let's go to verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? This is God. I mean, I found this quite interesting. This is God. God knows where Adam and Eve are. The exact place where they have hidden. And yet God asked, Where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Verse 11. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Notice the trend there. The trend between verse 10 to verse 13 is blame. So the man blames the woman. The woman doesn't own up to making the man fall. She blames the serpent. But even before we see blame game, I want us to see what verse 8 said. They hid from the Lord God among the trees. Many a times whenever we have a shortfall, whenever we fall short of the glory of God, or whenever we sin, we tend to live a life of paranoia. We tend to live a life afraid of what people might think, maybe people might see through. Like I said last week, you know, whenever we in a space where we are not sure of what people think or what people would say if they knew what we did in the past, we experience a, a form of anxiety. Anxiety in social situations, anxiety whenever we interact with people, anxiety in different, different aspects. And that is exactly what Adam was going through and Eve. So they hid from God because they knew they did the wrong thing. They went against instruction. The instruction was not to eat the fruit from the tree, but they ate it, so they hid. Verse 10 is another highlight. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam realized that he sinned. He was naked. Eve was naked. They sinned. So the presence of God, it's like the presence of God was just detached from them. God is holy, and a holy God doesn't dwell in an unholy place. God is holy. He dwells in a holy place. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we defile our bodies, we push away the Holy Spirit. And so we feel naked, we feel alone, a sense of guilt comes through. 
and that is what Adam and Eve were experiencing. But I like what verse 21 says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. God is a God of second chances. God is a God who is a forgiver. He forgives even our deepest, darkest sins. It doesn't matter. As I said in the previous episode, he has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. We can't even get in touch with those sins because in between our sin and us is this unlimited, unconditional kind of love that is purely shown in verse 21 of Genesis chapter 3. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Even before the Lord God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden of Eden, he had to make sure that these people that he created in his image and likeness retain their dignity, they retain their place as people who are treasured and are valued by this God, their creator. And that is why God was able to make these garments of skin. So God chased them out dignified. He didn't drive them out naked, no. He didn't drive them out condemned. He didn't drive them out in a state of, you know, you did this so I'm never going to have any relationship with you. We are done, this is over, no. There is always hope. Whenever we own up to our sin, whenever we own up to our shortfall, there is always hope of God, you know, making those beautiful garments of skin and clothing us like he did for Adam and Eve. Wow. So forgiveness is practical. Whenever we see it in light of God's eyes, whenever we choose to view humanity in the eyes of God, Give me your eyes for just one second. Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give me your love for humanity. That is a timeless song. Whenever I feel a grudge, whenever I feel like that person is not worth forgiving, that person is not worth the grace, that song always comes to mind. Give me your eyes, God, for just one second. Atasi mingi, sekunde moja. Give me your eyes so I can see. Wacha nione. Kila kitu yenye nakosa. Wacha nione. Kila kitu yenye mimi sioni. Wacha nione. Na nione kwa macho yako mungu. That is always my prayer. And that is my prayer for you. So that is Genesis chapter 3. Let's go to Genesis chapter 15. Chapter 50 Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full forty days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, my father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. 
only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad, near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly, and there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, The Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why that place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizraim. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite, along with the field. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived a hundred and ten years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Genesis chapter 50 is quite, is quite a heavy one because this is Joseph. Joseph was betrayed by his own blood brothers. They sold him out. They pretended that he was dead. It brought a lot of turmoil upon his father. So the pain was not just one way. It was not just towards Joseph. Even the father felt the gravity of the pain. I want us to see what chapter 15 says. When Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Joseph did not throw tantrums. Joseph did not cast the, the brothers aside. Joseph did not put them in, an, in a place where he should not have any contact with them. But Joseph wept. Joseph wept. I can imagine the pain that Joseph was feeling. An innocent boy 
growing up normally just sharing his dreams with his brothers but sharing his dreams cost him cost him his his family cost him his unity with his entire family with his father he missed out on quite a bit he missed great great moments with his dad great moments with his brothers and joseph weeps i believe he weeps for his brothers he weeps in pain for what he went through even before he came to this point where he became king he weeps and he weeps not out of anger but out of the fact that his brothers came to a point of acknowledging the fact that you know what we wronged you and we are not even worthy to be in the same space with you but here we are sending this message from our dead father asking you to forgive us and it is not a letter that was received from the post office or an email or a text message word was sent see what happens in verse 18 his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him and they said we are your slaves they were willing to do anything to make things right they were not even worthy to be in that palace with joseph they were willing to serve joseph to make up for lost time but joseph said to them don't be afraid am i in the place of god you intended to harm me but god intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives so then don't be afraid i'll provide for you and your children and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them so what is this scripture calling us to the practicability of forgiveness lies in acknowledging our failures it lies in acknowledging the fact that we have wronged someone somewhere it lies in a, in the fact that we get to approach that person we wrong and we ask for forgiveness from them and whenever this is done it becomes even easier to walk head high it becomes easier for the other person to forgive it becomes easier to walk as Christ did so genesis chapter 50 expresses the kind of love that even Christ himself had for us. We threw him away, we cast him aside, we shouted crucify him and in the end he forgave us. Joseph is a forebod of that. He forgives the brothers that sold him to slavery. Joseph. Joseph. Final scripture is in 1 Samuel 24 and 26. Saul had been chasing David throughout the land of Israel. When Saul heard David was hiding in the wilderness called En-Gedi, he took 3000 men and went there. One day Saul went inside a cave not knowing that David and his men were hiding in the back of the same cave. This is it, David's men whispered to him. This is the day God meant when he said he would deliver your enemies into your hands. David sneaked over to where Saul was and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Immediately he felt guilty. Why did I do that? David said to his men. God forbid that I do this to the king, to the Lord's anointed. 
David held back his men, not allowing them to attack Saul as they watched the king leave the cave. David followed Saul out of the cave and called, My lord the king! Saul turned and saw David bowing. Why do you listen to people who say, I want to harm you? David asked. Today God put you into my hands and some urged me to kill you, but I said, I will not lay a hand on the king because he is the Lord's anointed. See the corner of your robe in my hand? I could have killed you. I'm not against you, yet you hunt me to take my life. I will not raise my hand against you. Is that your voice, David? Saul began to weep. You are a better man than I am. You have been good to me, but I have done evil to you. May God reward you with good for the way you have treated me today. I know you will be king someday. Promise me that you won't kill my family. So David promised, and Saul went home. But David continued to hide in the wilderness. One day some people told Saul, Did you know that David is hiding in the wilderness of Ziph? Saul set out again to find David. In the evening, he set up camp for the night. When David heard that Saul had come to the wilderness, he sent spies to confirm Saul's arrival. Arriving at Saul's camp, David could see Saul and Abner, his general, sleeping. They were safely encircled by the army. Who will come with me into Saul's camp? David whispered to his soldiers. I will go with you, replied Abishai. David and Abishai quietly sneaked into Saul's camp. The soldiers, who should have been protecting the king, were sleeping. In the center of camp, they found Saul fast asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside him. God has given you your enemy's life, Abishai told David. Let me kill Saul with his own spear. Don't touch him, David responded. No one can harm the Lord's anointed and be sinless. God controls when Saul will die. I refuse to harm him. Grab his spear and water jug and let's go. God had kept everyone asleep. Once David was safely on the opposite hilltop, he shouted across to the army and to Abner, the general. Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? David called. Abner replied, Who are you to call to the king? Aren't you supposed to be guarding King Saul? David called again. You're not doing a good job. Someone sneaked into the camp. Look what I have, the water jug and spear that were beside the king himself. Saul had recognized David's voice and called, Is that you, David? It is, David replied. Why are you chasing me again? What have I done? If God has told you to pursue me, then I gladly forfeit my life. But if men have told you to hunt me down, then may God curse them. I have been driven from my rightful place because the king of Israel hunts me like a man hunting a bird. Then Saul said, I have sinned against you, David. I promise not to chase you anymore because you considered my life to be valuable. Send a young man to claim your spear, David answered. I had the opportunity to kill you, but I chose not to. Just as I valued your life today, so may God value my life in my time of trouble. Then Saul blessed David. You will do great things and will succeed in them. So David and Saul went their separate ways. We see David sparing the life of Saul twice. Twice, twice, my friends. First Samuel 24. Verse 4. 1 Samuel 24, verse 4. The man said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I'll give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up and noticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. 
tunachochwa mara ngapi ah hii ndio ile day hata usimpatie hiyo kitu anaitisha because he or she didn't give you there is no need to lend her hand or him because he or she didn't lend you a hand we get that from people surrounding us we get that from people around us negative influences that do not emulate the example of Christ they are not worth being our friends after david was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe he said to his men the lord forbid that i should do such thing to my master the lord's anointed or lay my hand on him for is the anointed of god with these words david sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul and Saul left the cave and went away you know what sometimes it's okay actually it is very okay to have friends and if your friends tend to advise you in a negative manner it is okay to rebuke them it is okay to tell them i can't buy that that is not me i can't do that that is not right before god that is why it is important to know the kind of friends that surround you who are your friends show me your friends and i'll know who you are that is a saying that is always there show me your friends and i'll know who you are if your friends advise you to do the negative depending on the values that you stand for if you are a christian if you believe in god if you believe in this christ who is a forgiver you'll be able to tell your friend you know what i can't do that it is not part of my value system it is not my value it is not my nature it is not in my jd as a christian and that is what david did actually he sharply rebuked his men you can imagine maybe he shouted maybe he said you know go away you know what was that you were saying stuck yet a story zenu he did them the needful he did the right thing and you know when david met saul david confessed of the fact that he spared saul's life and that won a special place in saul's heart and that is exactly what happened in 1 Samuel 26 as well. My highlights being in verse 9, 26 verse 9, but David said, "Don't destroy him." Again, Abishai, "Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice." Hata si mara mbili, mimi nitachukua huyo Saul, eh, na nitamdunga tu once. Naishe. You can imagine the kind of torture that that is Nita David ah leo ni ile siku leo ni ile siku tumepata huyu Saul it's like Abishai forgot you know let me assume Abishai was part of the people David rebuked before in in chapter 24 but in chapter 26 do huyo tena David this is the day he forgot that David rebuked the men for trying to destroy Saul ah this is the day eh? I'll just strike him once with a spear and that would be it. You would expect David would say, "Ah, that's a good idea actually. Mean to chill to nikai to pale side, you know, just go do whatever you can, kill him like a boss." But David said to Abishai, "Don't. Don't. Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless as surely as the Lord lives? The Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he'll die or he'll go into battle and perish but the lord forbid that i should lay a hand on the lord's anointed now get the spear and watch at jug that are near his head and let's go Ay, david david is such a peculiar person 
such a peculiar person how many of us would do that in this day and age how many of us would repay evil for good how many of us would be so gracious how many of us would shut down our friends who try to put us against against other people you know our friends who try to influence us negatively how many of us would do that most of us would maybe fear they will lose their friendship most of us would fear they would not be popular anymore most of us would fear that you know we look so holier than thou but what is the right thing to do what is the right thing to do i think that's the best question to ask ourselves what is the right thing to do that is the practicability of forgiveness the right thing to do is to repay good for evil the right thing to do is to retain your dignity by the grace of god by repaying good for evil as hard as it is it is doable and it is fulfilling and that is how david won the the heart of saul and that is how david eventually became one of the descendants of jesus christ because he chose the high road God had promised to make David the king one day, so David knew he would live to be king. God had also promised that David's reign would be important, that one of David's descendants would save the people of Israel. That promised one wasn't David's son or even David's grandson. He is Jesus, God's son, who fulfilled God's promises by dying for the sins of the world. God could not allow David to fall short of his plan and his purpose. So he had to shield him from being impulsive. Something that really gets in the way of our progress is impulsiveness. We should invoke thought in everything we do. If I revenge, okay, what do I gain? If I do evil to this person, what do I gain? I'll only feel worse. I'll only feel terrible. It is not worth it. at all it is not worth it and that reminds me of Matthew chapter 5 verse 38 to 48 you have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth but i tell you do not resist an evil person if anyone slaps you on the right cheek turn them the other cheek also and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt hand over your coat as well if anyone forces you to go one mile go two miles give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who boasts from you wow that just rubber stamps every scripture that we've read today another rubber stamp is in Romans chapter 12 verse 17 to 21 i like the message version don't hit back discover beauty in everyone if you've got it in you get along with everybody don't insist on getting even that's not for you to do i'll do the judging says god i'll take care of it our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry go buy that person lunch or if he's thirsty get him a drink your generosity will surprise him with goodness don't let evil get the best of you get the best of evil bye doing good wow wow i discovered another version today it's called the voice and i like what the voice says and i think i'll end with that with that with that um with that version but before i end i have a little story to share with you there was a mother and a daughter 
and you know the mother was a model so the daughter will definitely see what the mother is doing and enjoy wearing her clothes wearing her wigs you know how daughters are putting on makeup they enjoyed each other's company and when this daughter was seven years old the mother gave her a bible that means she began to believe what was written in it when she was seven and the relationship with the Lord began. In the teen years, when the girl was turning maybe 13 onwards, the relationship between the mother and her strained because she became rebellious. I don't know why teenagers become rebellious at some point. That is something I'm yet to really wrap my mind around. But she became rebellious. And when she became rebellious, when she turned 20, she moved out. She moved out. There was no real communication between her and her mom. She was just living her life, doing her things. Now there was no control. But funny enough, even when she was out there on her own, her mom was still controlling her in a way. And so one time, she just sat down with herself and thought life through. And she found herself in a service. And in this service, the preacher was talking about first Corinthians 13. Love is patient, kind and all that. And when the preacher was talking, the Lord, it's like the Lord whispered to her that this scripture is not just about God. God is love, yes. And everything that is painted in first Corinthians 13 is God, is the character of God. Kindness, goodness, you know, gentleness, all that embodies God. But it also expresses who God wants us to become. It expresses that God wants us to become kind, patient, gentle, self-controlled. And when she internalized these things, she went back home to mend this relationship that was so broken. She went back home to make things right with her mom. And in 2019, her mom passed on. She calls her a friend. She says she felt terrible. She felt a great loss. Imagine that. The relationship was not good. It was terrible. It was strained. As soon as the girl got into her teen years, everything just went haywire. And she moved out at 20. And later, she came back to her senses by the power of the word of God and went back to mend her relationship with her mom who passed on in 2019. I can imagine the fulfillment that this girl felt. Can you imagine if she stayed out in her rebellious state and then she realized that her mother passed on? No relationship, no friendship, no respect. There would be such a huge gap left in her heart that would take years to fill. But just taking that high road took her back home and she was able to reconcile with her mother who died shortly in 2019. And I like what she says. I realized that the Lord gave me exactly what I was looking for. It didn't look the way I thought it would, but it was exactly what I needed and what I always wanted. I'm so thankful he didn't give up on me and kept working on my heart with my relationship with my mom. Is your relationship with your parents strained? Is your relationship with your brother, your sibling, your friends strained? This is the time to take the high road and go mend that, that relationship by the grace of God. You never know what tomorrow holds. This is that moment. This is that day. And so God will come. 
to thank you for always reminding us to take the high road. Thank you, God, for shedding light through Genesis 3, through Genesis 50, through 1 Samuel 24-26, and just helping us see how practical forgiveness is. We can do it, but we can't do it in our own strength. We can do it in your strength. And so we ask for your guidance. We ask for your leading. And for that one who feels like it is a hard task to do, for that one who feels that it is a high mountain to climb, my God, I pray for your help. I pray for your, that you may soften their hearts, that you may grant them grace to approach that one they need to approach, to get to that one they need to tell, I'm sorry, my God, you are able. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God, because you are faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 12 verse 17 to 21, the voice version. Do not retaliate with evil regardless of the evil brought against you. Try to do what is good and right and honorable as agreed upon by all people. If it is within your power, make peace with all people. Again, my loved ones, do not seek revenge. Instead, allow God's wrath to make sure justice is served. Turn it over to him, for the scriptures say, revenge is mine, I'll settle all scores. But consider this bit of wisdom. If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Because if you treat him kindly, it will be like heaping hot coals on, on top of his head. Never let evil get the best of you. Instead, overpower evil with the good. Never let evil get the best of you. Instead, overpower evil with the good. Thank you for tuning in today. This has been the Musings Diary where we talk everyday life in line with the word of life. I'm sure most of you are wondering, oh, what happened to the man up show and all that. We'll be back. We'll be back. See you next Friday. Loved what you've heard on this week's episode? Well, well, the answer is simple. It would mean the world to us if you could head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review and feedback. Spreading the word really is the best way to grow our podcast and achieve even greater things. Thank you. Thank you.